Welcome to the Past for Plebs podcast, and my name is Sean, your host. Uh, what a pleasure it is to welcome you back to uh, today's episode. So you're probably wondering, okay, Sean, so where do you go from here? You sort of set the stage, uh, and so are you going to tell us a story? Or are you going to tell us, you know, uh, maybe maybe some, something that's going on today, you know, related to history? Where are you going to go from here? And, and, and to be honest, I was thinking the same thing. Uh, and, and so it crossed my mind, you know, I, I could go a few different ways with this. Um, I could certainly have chosen just one period and one place and focus on that. For example, like ancient Rome. I love that example because it's actually probably one of my favorite things to learn about and to focus on. But I really just didn't want to, I didn't want to limit myself to that sort of period and that sort of, you know, geographic location. Uh, I, I feel like I have so much to so much to cover, so much that I want to cover that's outside of that period. Well, it is still my favorite period. Uh, I, I just didn't want to limit myself. So that being said, you're probably wondering, okay, so then are you just going to tell the whole history of the world? And because, you know, that would be a lot. And you're right, that would be a lot. And it would probably take um, several years to do. And so, I mean, I guess technically I could have done that. And that would be really, really boring because I'd have to start all the way from square one. But then that begs the question, where do you start? Do you start, you know, in prehistory? Do you start in pre-prehistory? Which, you know, whatever that might mean. Or do you start, like, some arbitrary place in, you know, Mesopotamia or, you know, like Western Civ does? Uh, and so I just didn't really want to bat battle that, and I didn't really want to approach that with that sort of uh, method where I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to go through, you know, 6,000 years of history or maybe 10,000 years of history because that's nuts. That's really, really difficult to do. And then what you'll find is when it starts to really get busy, you know, like 1800s, for example, I mean uh, – I'm going to have to jump from Europe, and then I'm going to have to jump from France to Germany to England, the United States, Canada's history, and then I might have to even go to Asia. And, then, and the, So you really have all these histories starting to come together, and everything's happening at the same time, and it's really just chaos. It's organized chaos, and I did not want to have to do that. So what I really want to do, what I've sort of uh, made the executive decision to do with this podcast, is to focus on specific topics. So each episode, I'm going to try and do a different topic. You know, maybe slice up some, uh, slice up some, some meat, serve some history down on the uh, on the plaque there. Maybe get you some dinner, and um, yeah, and I'll be your chef today. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy this podcast. Okay, so welcome back. So today's topic, I want to focus on military history specifically. Military history in Europe. Uh, I want to go. I'm going to do a big no-no <laughs> as far as as far as uh, you know professional history goes. And I think I maybe have mentioned this last episode is that you really want to focus in on a particular time and place. Uh, I'm going to throw that rule out the window for today, and I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to throw out this hypothesis that I've sort of come up with over the years, as for you know, for me, just kind of studying military history uh, and, and investigating it. So, um, that being said, I want to focus in on European military history, and I want to look at sort of how um, what it means to be a good soldier has just transformed over time. But before we get into it, before we get into it, I really want to focus in on the three levels of warfare. Um, so there's three levels of warfare. The top tier is called the strategic level. That's where, uh, that's really the national level, the, or the international level. So where countries are literally facing off at each other. So economics, maybe tariffs, they're putting, they're imposing sanctions on each other. They're moving entire forces. They're focusing in. Uh, and trade and things like that. So, so that's really, really high-level stuff. 
The middle level is called the operational level. That's, that's really the logistical level. That's where armies are sort of moving throughout a campaign. I like to think of like, think of D-Day, right? So, and not, not, not in the trenches, not on the beaches. I'm thinking like looking at a map, you know, moving an army here. You're, you're, you're maybe sending the airborne here. You're, you're landing the boats here. That is the operational level. And lastly, the tactical level, it's pretty self-explanatory. That is boots on the ground. You know, what are we going to do to win this particular battle? Uh, you know, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Uh, things like that. So that, that, those are the three levels of warfare. And, I, and, and just so we're understood is I really want to focus in on the tactical level with this hypothesis. So my hypothesis is throughout European history, what it means to be a soldier has transformed over time. However, while it's been transforming, it does not break away from a pattern of two primary ideas. One is the power of the individual, and two is a disciplined, cohesive unit. Okay, so to kick this off, let's travel to the ancient world. I'm talking ancient, ancient. If you think ancient Rome is old, we're going to go to where the Romans thought was ancient history. We're going to take a pit stop, really focusing in on Homer's stories of the Iliad and the Odyssey. And also other places like the Old Testament in the Bible, um, and then even early writings, um, you know, about the founding of Rome and things like that. So we're going to follow uh, Achilles, Hector, David, Goliath, Romulus and Remus, uh, Odysseus, you know, Samson in the Bible. I mean, these are all examples of of larger than life heroes on the battlefield that perf that that sort of proved themselves as worthy of their men. I mean, these guys were, were absolute monsters when it came to fights. Uh, I mean, it, it was pretty normal for an entire battle to be going on, and then you would just see, uh, you know, the Trojan Prince Hector just emerging from the crowd, and you would see Achilles on the other side, from the Greek side, and they would just start fighting, and the whole, both armies would literally just stop and watch them. Uh, take take David and Goliath as the example, right? I mean, their armies would literally not even fight. They would just say, okay, here's my champion, here's your champion, fight. Whoever wins, that's it. That's it. So this is the idea here, right? So you have these, these huge heroes facing off on the battlefield. Now it's going to transform, and so let's see that transformation take place. I'm going to, I beg you to sort of follow me through the journey of time, and now we're going to arrive into the Greek and the Roman period. Uh, you're going to see phalanx formation. It's actually not even a Greek formation. It, it was originally uh, in the Middle East. You saw the Sumerians using it. The Greeks would perfect it, of course, don't get me wrong. But then, of course, after that, you see the Roman legionnaires using the panoply, which is sort of like a more flexible version of the phalanx. And instead of spears, you have men using swords so they can sort of wiggle and, and, and move together. But that's the point, right? It's so that these men are, are, are sort of getting rid of their identity. They're saying, you know what? I'm not going to break formation. I'm not going to run out there like a lunatic and start thrashing. I'm going to fight shoulder to shoulder with all my buddies here, and we're going to work together. We're going to march together, we're going to move together, and we're going to strike together. And that's going to make us stronger on the battlefield. And you see this, this concept of discipline sort of taking over that heroic uh, personality that used to be in, in, in earlier periods with Achilles. And so this is going to last for hundreds of years, for a long time. Uh, and of course, we're now going to sort of 
go beyond this into the next pattern. We're going to sort of come back and ebb and flow, and now we're going to come back when we see the fall of Rome. Now, who brings the Romans to the heel? None other than the Germanic tribes. Um, I mean, you see, you see these warriors like Odoacer, uh, King Theodoric, um, Clovis, Beowulf, right? Think of Beowulf. I mean, everyone's read Beowulf in school. I mean, these are just heroes just showing up and, and thrashing again. You know, these guys are, are, are kings, but they're heroes. Uh, I, I mean, I always point to the Vikings. Everyone knows the Vikings. I mean, those guys are literally just running around, pillaging, and fighting on the battlefield on their own. So that's really wild. The Middle Ages is, is sort of a blending of the two. You're going to see both. But again, I'm going to point to the Battle of Hastings. It's a famous example. They're using formations, but they still break away. Duke William versus King Harold. There's a legendary story of this battle where Duke William gets knocked off his horse. I think his horse gets killed. Uh, and I'll have to double check that. But anyway, he gets knocked off his horse. And in all the chaos of the battle, you know, the Normans, his men, they're not sure if he's even alive and they're all worried they're like you know they're losing heart and they're saying you know we lost our leader what's like even if we win this battle what's the point you know of, of still fighting and he famously grabs the banner he grabs the norman banner runs to the top of the hill and waves that sucker while he just starts you know cutting down all these saxons and oh man and and i mean that's a i mean it may be a legend it may be a crazy story but uh the point of the matter is is that there is a story like that right and i mean we even follow that this legend even further we'll go into the 1400s as late as the 1400s you see joan of arc i mean she's carrying a banner on the battlefield of orleans on the battlefield of fields of france against the english against the burgundians i mean this is nuts this is in the 1400s this is the age of knights but that's the point right so there is that hero mentality still alive there now we're going to watch this hero mentality dissolve again, and this time it's more um, more due to technology. You're going to find gunpowder really dismantles the idea of a tough guy attitude. <laughs> no offense, but it, I mean we could maybe try this experiment. But if someone wants to dress up in a full suit of armor, I'll shoot a musket at you, and I can guarantee it's going to go right through you because suits of armor are not bulletproof. Um, and so they figured that out very quickly. You know, they weren't dumb in the past. And so they decided, you know what, it's, I think it's about time we don't wear armor anymore. And we're going to sort of transition to just being lightweight, moving quickly, and you can shoot. Now, along with the lightweight, you also have to understand that even though they have these guns, they are not accurate at first. I mean, it's going to take hundreds of years for rifling to even become normal, you know, status quo, never mind accurate rifling. So it's going to take a long time. You don't see the the first real rifle rifles coming out until late Civil War, late American Civil War in the late 1800s. This is this is something that they have to sort of cope with, and you'll actually see their fighting styles react to this lack of technology. And so what they do is they go back to fighting in units. They fight shoulder to shoulder, and they say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to maximize our strength here, and we're going to fire at the same time. We're all going to work together. We're going to fire at the same time. We're going to move together. And, and, and we go back to this idea of ancient Roman and Greek discipline of, you know what, my personal strengths don't matter. It's how well can I listen to orders? How well can I move in a unit? And now we're going to see that finally change again, again, I think, due to technology. And this is in the 20th century, right, with the advent of machine guns, with devastating 
pieces of artillery and extremely accurate too. I mean, if you march in a formation, never mind being airstruck, you're going to get hit with just devastating artillery and your forces are going to be gone. Um, machine guns, things like that. So you really can't afford to form up into a formation anymore. And so therefore you're going to see uh, pretty much the formation of our military today and here in the United States. And of course, you know, most armies today sort of operate on this sort of uh, developed individual cohesive action. So you still rock as an individual on the field, but of course it's all for the greater good. So that's sort of my pattern and I know we just really 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 broadly jumped through 2,000 years of history uh, actually now that I think about it we jumped through about three or four thousand years of history going all the way back to Troy um, so <laughs> take it as you will but that is sort of my hypothesis uh, of course there's always there's always going to be exceptions to the rule and in fact if I brought this hypothesis to an actual historian uh, they would probably laugh in my face, but I think it's fun. I think it's fun to play with. I think it's important to throw ideas out there, um, but comment on what you think down below. I'm, I'm curious uh, if you find this interesting or if you find this real or if you think it's baloney. Let me know it's baloney because I'm really, really curious to hear about it. Alright kids, welcome back. Uh, this is the part where I give a shout out to a specific person in history that I really, really want to focus on. Um, today, it's kind of ironic. The, my topic today was on military history, and I'm going to focus on none other than Thomas Jefferson, someone who never served in the military, uh, and someone who is probably the last person you could expect of our founding fathers to serve in the military. Um, but nonetheless, Jefferson is a colossal person in American history and in world history. He's definitely very famous for a number of things. He was president, uh, the third president to be exact. Um, he wrote the Declaration of Independence, or at least the rough draft. Uh, he, you know, he signed the Louisiana Purchase. Um, he helped pass the Bill of Rights. He was a big advocate for revolutions. So again, this huge colossal of a hero in American history. Um, now, a lot of people living in today's world, he's come up under a lot of flack lately for being a slave owner. I personally don't really discredit him for that. Again, uh, going back to our last episode, he was alive in the late 1700s when it was pretty regular to own slaves. Um, and, you know, so I, I really can't do, it's kind of like an after the fact kind of law where it's like, okay, he was, you know, he, it wasn't like he was during the Civil War. It wasn't like he was, you know, living in the 19, early 1900s and being a slave owner. It was 200 years before that. So that's definitely something worth noting. Um, but that being said, he does have a lot of strengths that have nothing to do with that. Um, and I don't think we can discredit him for those based on those, those, those shortcomings, uh, if you would go so far as to call that a shortcoming uh, during his time. Uh, so yeah, so let's. I guess we can go in chronology. He wrote the Declaration of Independence. Um, he wrote the rough draft. Of course, um, Ben Franklin and John Adams ripped him apart. Supposedly, uh, they basically said, you know, your rough draft is garbage. Um, and then, of course, you know, in American history, in your in your in your high school classes, in your college classes, I'm sure everyone pokes fun at this. The fact that he basically plagiarized. English common law and English law. He, you know, uh, famously John Locke, Lockean law. I mean, if you ever take a civics class, they always pretty much make fun of him for that. Uh, where's your citation there, Mr. Jefferson? Either way, it's a founding doc. It is the founding document for, um, you know, the modern United States. 
uh, or you know the United States. Uh, then of course he uh, served as president of the United States. He was elected in 1800. Uh, this is commonly referred to as the Revolution of 1800. That's a big deal because for the first time in American history, and and I mean I guess you could argue in world history, I would have to really dig deep to find if there was ever a, a peaceful passing of power democratically before. But this is the first time two different viewpoints, two different political parties, uh, basically the Federalists and Jeffersonian Republicans, who is you know, sort of the, the, the aftermath of the Anti-Federalists, uh, transition power. John Adams, the president before him, one of his best friends actually, was on the Federalist Party. He was very much in, in defense and, and in practice a, you know, uh, a, the capital should decide everything, they should run things, you know, constitutionalist, whereas Jefferson spearheaded the, the movement against the Constitution, not as a whole, only with the Bill of Rights. He said it was very important for, for individuals to have their rights protected and in writing, and so he sort of spearheads that movement, and he takes that with him to politics. And now that he's president, I'm going to actually sort of highlight something that's kind of ironic about Jefferson, but, I mean, you can't really blame him. Um, he did the exact opposite when he was president. Uh, my main man, Napoleon, is getting gearing up for his wars in Europe in the early 1800s, 1802, I believe. I'll have to double-check that. But he basically says, hey, T. Jefferson, uh, what's up, man? I own this huge plot of land called Louisiana right next door to you. I'm not using it. I don't really care about the Americas right now. I want to conquer Europe. What do you say? You pay me money so I can buy cannons, guns, men, and uh, you get all that land for your country. Jefferson says, hey, you know what? Let's do it. He signs He signs the deal for $15 million. And I mean, it's, it's just so ironic because there's nothing in the Constitution uh, that says that you can buy land, and he literally just says, "All right, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stack on powers to the president, and so now the president can just collect land." I mean, I guess you could make the argument that he sort of started Manifest Destiny and pushed uh, west, uh, and and so that's pretty interesting. Uh, I would I would be interested to see your opinion on that, but nonetheless, Jefferson was really really a, a colossal figure, and and again, American history and world history, one of my favorite presidents. I've come to like John Adams more because I've I think I've sided more with the Federalists on this, but I cannot I cannot discount his just love for the people and uh, and, and definitely you know the individual. Um, he he really stressed that. So Thomas Jefferson definitely read up on him um, and and uh, yeah take a look at some of his documents. He was a really smart guy, way smarter than I am, and uh, worth taking a look at. All right, plebs, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I know I know we sort of we sort of glazed over a lot of history today. It probably got a little boring at parts, um, but hey, that's history. It's going to be boring at some point, um, so it's definitely a must. I'm curious to see your thoughts, and, I, and I'd love to get some feedback on potential ideas to move forward. Um, if you have a cool topic you maybe want me to address or something that you might want me to uh, cover in a future episode, um, shoot me a message, or go ahead and and go ahead and comment under the comment section, and uh, and and throw out some crazy ideas. I love it. I'm really interested in pretty much anything as far as history goes, and uh, I think it's something that we can tackle. Uh, let's put that to the test. So as always, um, six semper tyrannis, imperium aeternum, uh, and remember, your ancestors are always watching you. So do your best to not disappoint them.